The long-awaited reopening of the Bagheera gold mine in Papua New Guinea's Inga province is set to happen next week. Nearly four years ago, after being beset by controversy, the mine shut as the parties negotiated a new lease deal. Now New Bagheera Limited, in which the Papua New Guinea government and community interests have a majority share, is set to open on the 22nd of December, with the first gold expected in the first quarter next year. Massey University professor of the School of People, the Environment and Planning, Glenn Banks, has had a long involvement in Bagheera. Don Wiseman asked him what took him there. I was going there to, to study the relationship between the, this um, multi-million dollar foreign mining company and the, the local community. I must admit I went up there with a few preconceptions in the sense of thinking that this was the classic David versus Goliath kind of encounter. But once I got on the ground up there, I found it was a lot messier, that there was a, a, a lot of local politics and a, lo a lot of local agency, I guess you could say, that was putting a lot of pressure on the mining company. They, they didn't really know how to best deliver and live with that local community. There was a lot of uh, really good people on the, the company side with backgrounds in, in development and a lot of people with who had worked for the government up in PNG previously worked up in the Highlands who were trying to manage that relationship with the local community. So they were they they had at the time some pretty world leading compensation and um, relocation agreements that had been negotiated with the local community. Funnily enough, it had come out of the original development forum that that Papua New Guinea had held, which brought together the company the provincial government and the national government with the landowners to negotiate the, the terms of the, the mine development. And so from that, you had some pretty cutting edge agreements between the, the various levels of government and the local community about what the government would deliver in terms of development for the community. So there was this messiness that you refer to, but what was it like generally? We know, for instance, that with time, it became a fairly violent place, the Gera town and around the mine. But what was it like back there at the beginning? It was actually a, a really nice place to do fieldwork as a student. And I never felt threatened or in, in any form of danger up there while I was I was working up there. There was a lot of hope in the community and uh, there was starting to be a little bit of frustration that people weren't seeing the, the sort of development that they thought they should be getting, that they were anticipating. But they were very proud of things like the, the new township at Pyam that was starting to, to be developed, the new hospital that had been put in place. So, that, you know, the, there were visible markets of progress up there. And people in the, the early 90s were, were really quite hopeful that this was going to be the start of a, a, a real process of development. It's um, not the case that there wasn't any violence. There was still tribal fighting going on. I somewhat naively wandered into a couple of fight zones at, at different points in time, but they were never encounters where I felt at risk. It was very much low-key, much more traditional-style tribal fighting that was occurring, and there were no... At the time in the early 90s, there were no high-powered rifles or um, assault assault weapons being employed. It was homemade shotguns, and but mostly bow and arrow. So the wounds at the hospital tended to be bow and arrow and spear wounds rather than gunshot wounds. Then you, you continued going there over a period of years. And what did you see? 
Yeah, you started to see a, a, a few things. One, massive amounts of migration from people who had kinship relationships into Pogra. So the, the vast bulk of the migration into Pogra, at least in the, for the first couple of decades, was along kinship lines. So it was people from what was then Southern Highlands Province, now Hala Province, and other parts of Inga that were moving into Pogra. The traditional landowning communities there were were from the Apili language group and and the Apili were a small traditionally a small fairly peripheral group um, surrounded by much larger neighbors and so through marriage and through trade and exchange they actively sought out connections with these larger groups once the mines started up you started to see migration of these larger groups, the Huli and um, other parts of Inga, into the Pogra Valley to try and take advantage of some of the, the opportunities that were coming up in terms of the significant cash flows, employment, business development. And so within 10 years, you effectively had a doubling of the population in the in the Pogra Valley. It went from about 10,000 at the start of in, in 1990, just as the mine was kicking off, up to 22,000 by the year 2000. So a, a really significant increase in, in population over that time. And that population growth has just continued. I mean, I've I've seen the most recent number attached to the population of Pogra in the valley of about 70,000. So that kind of population growth puts real pressure at it, inserts real stress into that community. And when you've got a lot of money and a lot of the migrants initially are young guys looking for opportunities, you start to see drinking, gambling, prostitution, and that tends to amplify aspects of, of traditional culture, if you like. So you, you start to see much more violent forms of conflict that arise up there. Some of the, the tribal fighting that's that's occurred over the last 10 years or so has been pretty pretty horrendous. At the same time, you're starting to see a much more vexed relationship between the community, the, the landowners, and, and the company. The landowners really, they're unable to control a lot of the social processes and the, the violence that's occurring in the community. And they're, they're looking to the government and to the company to try and help them resolve some of these things. But there's not very much either of those parties can do. The response from the state has been to send in troops and police. And that's led to human rights abuses. So there was a period... About 10 years ago, when there were a significant number of human rights abuses reported and recorded by international organisations, Human Rights Watch went in there and, and uncovered a, a significant amount of abuse by mine security and police in and around the, the mine area. And again, that kind of environment, it just amplifies some of the already existing tensions in the, in the community. That is part one of our look at Bogera. At a later stage, we'll hear from Professor Glenn Banks on the prospects for the new operation.